16 again this week. Good to see the old guards back with us. They've just spent some time in Nogales, Mexico. Down there with the Kurum, I think it's called Kurum Ministries. So uh, be good to talk with them as well during our break time. See how uh, their time went down there. Uh, just saw David yawning real big, so it must have been a tiring trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anxious to hear about your week too. John chapter fifteen. last uh, couple of weeks we have been considering what you might call abiding truths in that um, we, we looked at abiding in Christ last week John 15 especially verses 4 and 5 but all of 1 through 8 uh, abiding in Christ we also considered abiding in Christ's word which is John 15 7 as well as John 13. And today we're going to look at abiding in Christ's love. If you look at John 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As we think about these abiding truths, just a, a couple of reminders. The word abiding, the Greek word meno, means to remain, to stay, like being deeply rooted in something. It's not at all a transient idea, but a permanent fixed idea. Remaining, uh, abiding, established, firmly planted, those kinds of things. It is, uh, when talking about abiding, the New Testament always uses it in reference to Christ and our relationship to Christ whenever it's given as a command whenever we're told to abide in other words it is always in reference to Christ abiding in Christ abide in me he says or abide in my word or abide in my love it's always imperatival it's a command and it always has to do with our relationship to him another thing to remember about these abiding truths is that in every case it's reciprocal that is abide in me and I will abide in you abide in my word and my word will abide in you abide in my love and my love will abide in you it's, it's always all of that and it's always directed at disciples this is not for people who are not followers of Christ because abiding in him um, as we saw last week, means someone who is connected to the vine, uh, organically, permanently connected to him, and especially spiritually connected. So, this week we're looking at abiding in Christ's love. Understanding what that means, what, what God means by love, first of all, and then what he means by abiding in that love is uh, vital for our Christian walk. You know that the, the Bible uh, gives a very high place to love. It's, it's preeminent 
It's, it's up there. And especially if you think about some New Testament passages, maybe some more familiar ones. For instance, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is often called the love chapter because it describes what real love is. It describes what God's love looks like. And it, it ends this way. It says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Now, put in that category with faith and love, a hope, that's pretty significant. The greatest of these is love. Romans 13, uh, Paul wrote to the uh, Romans, uh, Owe to no man anything except to love one another. And he goes on to explain that, that love is the fulfilling of the law. If we, in fact, love God and love others, that's the summation of the whole law. And, in, and uh, when a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. And the second's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again and again, we see the preeminence of, of love. In fact, we are called not only to love God, but to love our family, to love our friends, to love our church body, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love our neighbors, even to love your enemies, which sometimes brings us back to our family. But not mine not mine but we are we're, we are called to to demonstrate to live godly love as part of our life as believers in the broader sense of this uh, short series that we're doing on what real discipleship is and what it means to be like Christ biblical discipleship is the process by which we are being conformed into the image of Christ. It's the process by which we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And so the goal is always Christ-likeness. That's the end goal that he has for us. Um, and the method of getting there, how do we get toward that goal of being Christ-like? Is not by filling out a notebook or workbook of discipleship learning how to pray or uh, learning any kind of a skill set it is relational just as you came to Christ by faith in him your, your focus is on him dependence on him alone so we grow in him the same way focus on him dependence on him alone as we get to know him more intimately as we abide in him in other words then he produces Christ-like fruit in our lives. And, and so today is just kind of uh, carrying on in that same vein. We're, we looked last week specifically at abiding in Christ. This week is abiding in his love. That is, if we are to abide in Christ, we need to know what does it mean to abide in his love. Well, let's look at Romans 15, 9 through 17.
As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Love is a commitment, first of all. John 15.9 tells us how much Jesus loves us. To me, this is a very startling statement that he makes in verse 9. Look at this carefully with me again. John 15.9 As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. How much does Jesus love you? Maybe you have even wondered sometimes, does God love me at all? Does he still love me? Does he remember me? Does he know my name? Does he know my hurts and pain? Does God love me? even me here is here is a word of assurance for you here's how greatly the father loves Jesus and Jesus loves you look at this as the father has loved me can you contemplate this for a moment how much does God the father love the son I would like to explain that to you. It is beyond all comprehension. We could just get lost in this thought of trying to fathom the greatness of the Father's eternal love for the Son. Catch the significance of what your Savior is saying here to you. As the Father has loved me. That's how I have loved you. And I want you to stay in my love. Love is a commitment. The Father is committed to the Son. And to the eventual reign of the Son as King forever. 
and Christ is committed to you and he who began that good work in you is never going to let that stop until it's finished until the day of Christ he is never going to let you go never going to let you down never leave you never forsake you he will love you always Jeremiah 31 I have loved you with an everlasting love as the father has loved me so I have loved you stay in my love we see also the commitment part of God's kind of love in verse 10 if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so Jesus reaffirms the greatness of his love for us but then he issues a command because a good question for us to ask at the end of verse 9 where he says abide in my love is great how do I do that abide in my love I want to okay you sold me on that how do I do that verse 10 if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love that's how it's, it's by commitment to him. We abide in his love by our commitment to him. And he has given us the example, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. And of course, Christ the Son always did exactly as the Father showed him and told him perfectly. And so that's what he is calling us to do, to follow him in that kind of loving commitment obedience we commonly recognize that there are three levels or kinds of love first of all there's emotional love you know where you have these warm fuzzy feelings toward someone and uh, that may be love or may not but at an emotional level the most base level and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. God has made us emotional beings. We are meant to feel something, right? So it's good to have feelings of love. It's just that those are not enough. And we, we know when uh, difficult times comes, the, just the emotional kind of initial response is, that's not enough. It also has to be based on, on knowledge. As you get to know the, the person and your love grows as you get to know them so we get to know Christ and our love grows the more we, we come to know him but then there's the area of commitment that love as commitment which is the highest form of love and really agape love God's kind of love is a commitment for the welfare of another at any price of course demonstrated by Christ's sacrifice for us for our, our welfare that sacrificial kind of love because of a commitment for the well-being of someone else so we have emotion and knowledge and commitment which reflect heart, mind and will of our being and it's not that we do one of those but all three of those always realizing that the will the commitment which leads to obedience which leads leads to living 
for that person or in this case for the Lord that's the highest level of love that we could demonstrate so Jesus doesn't say that if you have warm feelings for me you abide in my love or if you memorize some things about me and know things that then you abide in my love but rather he says if you follow my commandments if you do as I say if you obey me then then you abide in my love because that is showing the will part of your love is given to him that these things are interrelated he had already explained to them in chapter 14 so it'd be helpful for us to go back to John 14 to pick up on that conversation earlier that he had with his disciples John 14 15 first of all John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. You see how love and obedience go hand in hand. If you love me, this is what will happen. You will keep my commandments. Love, commitment. Love is shown by commitment. That's spelled out more for us in verse 21. He who has my commandments, so that you have received revelation from Christ, you understand his word, his direction, his will for you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that is, he, he obeys them, follows them, is committed to them. He has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. That's how that love is demonstrated. That's the one who loves me, Jesus says. See that person over there? He has my word and he's following it. He loves me. And he who loves me, now it becomes reciprocal, will be loved by my Father and I will love him. And then notice, I will manifest or reveal myself to him. That is, more revelation is given. So we begin with revelation. You have, you have my word, you have my commandments. You start with revelation. You obey that. You show you love me. I love you back and I give you more revelation. And you have my revelation and you keep it. You show you love me and I love you back and see how it's an upward spiral. And they, they, that all hangs together. Love and commitment or obedience are tied together. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, it is hollow for someone to say I love Jesus but I don't want to follow his word I love God but you, you can't tell me what to do or, and don't bring scripture to me because I've already made up my own mind but I love Jesus that's a pretty hollow profession of faith if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
Verse 31. John 14, 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. Here's, here's now how Jesus is going to demonstrate to the world his love for the Father, right? And as the Father uh, gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Where are they going? Where are they going, Greg? Going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Greg Rulak just taught this passage recently, didn't you? Yeah. They're, they're leaving here to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. What's after the Garden of Gethsemane? The trial, the mockery of a trial, and the cross. When Jesus says in John 13, 31, Arise, let us go from here, because I am going to show the world now how much I love the Father. Let's go. This is what I'm going to do. He's talking about the cross. Let's go. I'm going to the cross because I'm going to show the world that I love the Father by this kind of commitment. Now, Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you can understand. So surely... And his great love for you, he would not ask you to do something that would be terribly hard, would he? Because Jesus loves you so much, he wouldn't ask you to make a sacrifice, would he? Yes, he would. He said, I, I want you... To show your love for me the same way I showed my love to the world for the Father. How did Jesus show his world, his love for the Father to the world? By the cross. How do we show our love for Christ? Take up your cross and follow me. Don't think just because Jesus puts you in a hard place that he doesn't love you anymore. He is giving you an opportunity to show you love him. God shows his love for us by his faithfulness and commitment. Jesus showed his, his love for the Father by his faithfulness and commitment. We show our love for Christ by our faithfulness and commitment. Love is commitment. Secondly, love is joy. Lest you think that this now leads us to some kind of view of Christian love that is um, just you have to give up everything and you get nothing. And it's going to be a joyless, hopeless existence from now on. That is not at all it. Jesus follows up in the very next verse by saying, Here's why I'm telling you this. Because I want you to be filled with joy in your life. We think that joy comes by self-fulfillment. I'm going to chase all the things that matter to me and then I'm going to be happy. It doesn't work. You never get enough. Jesus says, look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. 
that, he gives a purpose statement here, here's why, that my joy may minnow, abide, remain in you. And then that your joy may be filled up to the brim. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The second one, right? Following swiftly on the heels of love is joy that the Holy Spirit brings us as we abide in Christ. So why is Jesus telling us about loving obedience? Because he wants us to be filled with joy and he knows this is how we get there. Too many of us try to find joy in, in other people or circumstances or playthings. But love, especially biblical love, is not what we receive but what we give. Joy is found in loving obedience. That's why or how I think we can understand Hebrews 12 that says that for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross how in the world could that cross be joy it was because it is joy to obey God even on the cross doesn't mean that the cross was a good thing it wasn't a pleasant experience by any means. It was hard beyond all imagination. It was hard. But it was joy because what it brought forth, the fruit of you being in heaven forever, the fruit of Christ being exalted in heaven forever, those kinds of things came from that obedience. Without that obedience, none of the other would happen. If you'd have real joy in your life, it comes from Him. You will not find joy by pursuing the things of this world if you love dust and you pursue dust and you pile up dust. In the end, what do you have? dust if you pursue God and you are committed to him he will fill you with joy whether you have the dust or not and he wants you to have a joy that will last third love is shared verse uh, 12 and 17 <clears throat> This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's not just that we love God. It's not just vertical love between us and God, us and Christ. It's horizontal love that you love one another as I have loved you. Share that, that love. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Uh, go back two chapters to 13. 34 and 35. <clears throat> John 
John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So that kind of love that we have for Christ is to be shared. As I have loved you, that's how, that's the degree, the kind, the manner, the way in which I want you to love each other. Love is to be shared. It said that love is the one thing you can't have unless you give it away. That's so true. Love is meant to be shared. Now I want to um, read something from a uh, Dr. Charles Brown uh, as he was um, uh, describing the difference between caring and loving, even in a Christian church kind of environment. That idea of caring, I think, is what we usually associate with our kind of love for one another. And his challenge is that we think more of loving. So here's what he, he wrote. Caring is easy. Loving is work. The Thessalonian Christians were praised for their labor prompted by love. The Greek word labor means toil, hard work, even to the point of exhaustion. Caring is easy. Love is work. Caring nudges me to show polite concern. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. Let me pray for you. Love pushes me to sacrifice. I'm sorry you lost your job. Here, take this check. Caring nods, I understand. Love rolls up its sleeves and lifts the load. Caring says, I'll pray for you if you come to mine. Love cries out in intercession until the heavens open and an answer is received. Caring does the nice, expected things. Love does radical, unexpected things. Caring keeps its distance. Love grabs hold and refuses to let go. Caring takes calculated risks. Love risks everything. Caring advises the soiled soul. Love washes the soul until it's clean. Caring hires or delegates someone to do its charity. Love takes off its shoes, wades into the mud and muck, and pulls a sinking creature to safety. <clears throat> Caring enables the, the emotional cripple to remain cripple. Love forces the issue. Walk or remain lame. Caring says... I'll do anything to please you. Love says, my, my primary goal is to please my Lord. To care is human. To love, divine.
He gives us this by way of commandment, not suggestion, that we love one another. It's not addressed to our emotions that we have warm feelings toward one another, but that we actively seek to put into practice loving works and commitment to each other. Love is Christ-like. Verse 10 of uh, John 15, verse 10. Remember that this whole series we're doing is what is on what does it mean to be like Christ? And love, as, as Jesus says a number of times here, is Christ-like. It's like Him. We see some samples of that here in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So He sets the pattern. He shows what it means to be like Him. He says purposely, directly, live like this, like I do, this kind of love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He is the pattern for it. He's the, the measure, the strength, the purity, the depth, the character of what our love is to look like is measured by Christ. That's what love is. His love becomes the definition of what our love is to be. If, if you want to know what real love is, the kind of love that God is calling you to and to abide in, You need to look no further than the life and the ministry and the sacrificial death of Christ. In fact, if we could transport ourselves to the foot of the cross. And in that sacred spot at the foot of the cross. Would you ask Jesus. What does love look like? Or. How do you want me to love others? This is what love is, he would say. Now, when we abide in his word, his word transforms us and flows through us. When we abide in him, as we saw last week, he produces the fruit And we bear the fruit. We are vessels of the fruit. When we abide in his love. We don't produce love. Any more than we produced the word. Or we produced the fruit. But we are channels. Vessels. Of his love. As we abide in his love. He loves others through us. The closer we get to Him, the more we cling to Him, the more His love flows through us. So the key here is not that we try against our nature to love unloving people, but rather that we abide in Christ and His love so that His love will flow through us to other people. See the difference? Maybe you've been frustrated by trying to love someone who is not very lovely or lovable. 
Stop that. Rather, abide in his love. Be committed to him and his love. He will love them through you. That's much better. Love is sacrificial. Verse 13. I'm going to have to hurry up here to to finish up these next couple of points. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love is sacrificial. It means yielding up your rights for others. I tell this to husbands and wives all the time in counseling. To love each other is really about yielding up yourself, your rights for the betterment of the other. Jesus had every right to a kingship, to um, a royal throne, to a royal crown, but instead he got a crown of thorns and a wooden cross. He yielded up his rights for your righteousness. True biblical love does not seek its own. Rather, it is sacrificial. During the uh, time that Oliver Cromwell reigned as Lord Protector of England, a young soldier was brought to him and uh, was uh, sentenced to death. And uh, uh, this soldier was uh, engaged to a young lady. She came and pleaded with Cromwell to please let her, her husband go free to commute his sentence. And Cromwell said, no, he dies when curfew rings tonight. So as the evening came and it was time to ring the curfew, the sexton pulled the rope of that huge uh, brass bell and it didn't ring. He pulled it again and it didn't ring. And he pulled and pulled and pulled and got others to help him pull that rope and it would not ring curfew. What had happened is the, the man's the condemned soldier's fiance had climbed up into the belfry, had wrapped herself around the clapper in that huge bell. And every time they tried to ring it, she was thrown from one side to the other, back and forth and back and forth against the, the sides of that bell until they finally quit trying to ring it. She held on. She climbed down. Her hands were bleeding. She was battered and bruised and obviously in pain. Her face was cut and bleeding. She came and knelt before Cromwell and explained what she had done. He was so touched by her sacrifice and brought such pity to him that he said, Go. Curfew will not ring tonight. Your husband lives or your fiancé lives. That's sacrificial love. I've got another story for you. A 
Jesus did that for you. Oh, it wasn't because you were worthy of his love. Because when he did it, you were enemies. And he loved you anyway. And he held on for three hours of the wrath of God the Father poured out on him for your sin. And you are offered forgiveness, not out of pity, not out of an example of sacrifice, but because he paid in full the debt of your sin. That is love. Jesus says, I want you to know how much I love you. As much as the Father has loved me, that's how I have loved you. Abide in my love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We have one song to close with today. and We won't get to our final point, but that's okay. Still meditate on those verses. I think you'll see what they are about. Thank <laughs> you.